Hey, this is Erica from Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks. I just want to go ahead and give a trigger warning as we do talk about suicide and abuse in this episode. If you or anyone you know is suffering from suicidal thoughts or ideation and or abuse, please go to togetherwear-strong.tumblr.com for an international list of hotlines and resources. Thank you so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Thrillers, chillers, and chicks. Hello, and welcome back to Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks. I'm your host, Hannah. And I'm your other host, Erica. And today we are going to be talking about the Hulu anthology series Monsterland. Now, Erica and I found this kind of by chance, I would say, scrolling through Hulu. It was one of the recommended shows um, that popped up in our feed in October, um, which is when they released it, kind of, you know, for the Halloween month. And it's really good. (laughs) Really good. Um, So the story is episodic. So there's eight episodes, I believe, and Mm -hmm. each one has a different story. Um, But it is an anthology in that they do relate to each other, um, some more than others. Uh, In, like, some episodes you'll see characters from previous episodes kind of show up or events will be mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the stories will kind of line up. And others seem to be more isolated. Um, If we do get more seasons of this show, I would be interested to see if they do wind up tying together more. Mm -hmm. As of right now, we don't really know. As of right now, yeah. They seem to. They seem to. So, like I said, there's eight episodes in the first season, and um, we're not going to talk about all of them here. Um, I do think they are all worth watching. Oh, yes. I think this episode, Erica and I kind of each wanted to talk about... Erica and I have the same favorite episode, which we think is the best one in the season, for sure. But we have each a different, like, kind of second favorite episode that really kind of stuck out to us. So we're going to talk a little bit about those, and I'm going to let Erica take it away with hers. Before we do that, I do want to explain... That I guess kind of the general premise of Monsterland mm-hmm. without giving away, but Monsterland essentially follows these different people or groups of people that it's or not groups but like you know it might be two or three people affected, mm-hmm. but um it follows these people and they're kind of in these difficult situations or difficult stages of life, and it kind of morphs that and their needs and what they're trying to accomplish or do or whatever uh, with the paranormal. Yes. Um, and we find that, or at least I, my current theory, uh, it seems that all of these paranormal entities are kind of related to some kind of well-known or a specific entity, if that makes sense. And we'll kind of explain that more as we talk about our different mm-hmm episodes but that's kind of the general gist of the series itself but I guess to start off in terms of kind of my second favorite episode I actually liked I believe it's episode two um all the episodes are named of areas so this episode is named Eugene Oregon uh so in this episode it essentially chronicles this teenager 
who has, so he's out of school, he's kind of working like a fast food job in order to try and provide for him and his sick mother. Um, his mother's very sick, she can't work or anything, and he he's kind of lying to her about still being in school and stuff, so she doesn't like feel bad. But he sees this shadow person in his room, and uh, he kind of chronicles it and puts it online on like a, kind of a, it's the forum that ends up being used in this episode is more akin to Reddit. And he finds this group of people who have also seen shadow people and who are kind of attributing these shadow people to kind of the bad things that have happened to their lives. I think this episode interested me so much because it dives into some topics that I personally have interest in and that I thought were interesting or was an interesting way to kind of portray the issue issue and kind of show the stage of it. So after some research and kind of my own thoughts and what I thought was happening, it seemed to kind of dive into these concepts of, I guess, kind of hate groups, to be honest. I wouldn't define the kind of that shadow people group as a hate group, but I do feel like it kind of touches on that topic and it kind of tackles issues like life being unfair and our desire to attribute that to something that we can define or that we can see or something more tangible than bad stuff just happens and it's just not fair. I feel like it also kind of displays how this feeling kind of grows in someone because he he begins not really, he's just like, oh cool, look at this thing I saw in my room. And then it becomes kind of this war on shadow people within this group. And it's interesting, too, because near the end, you start to see his relationship with the group, I feel like, turn more one-sided and that the group kind of has him end up doing a lot of the footwork that I feel like they could also do, but they just don't. Because <laughs> in the end, he's he kind of ends up having this like final showdown with the shadow person. I won't give away too much, but the group insists that he's the one who has to do it and he's the one who has to kind of broadcast it. It, it, the the weight and kind of the responsibility ends up on him despite it affecting them all. And I feel like that shows kind of that disconnect between maybe this big group of people for one stand and the people who actually do the footwork or who actually end up in, in situations where, you know, their face is present or they have to stand for this and then they end up shouldering the consequences versus the people who, who actually told them that this is what we have to do and blah, blah, blah. So that's why I found this episode so interesting and why it was probably up there with the episode that I feel is the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely a good one. <laughs> I like that one a lot. My second favorite episode um, is called Plainfield, Illinois. It is the fifth episode in the series. And it follows two women who meet in law school and fall in love and kind of chronicles their love story from the time that they fall in love and throughout their marriage and they have a child. But the they are played by Taylor Schilling and Roberta Colindres. And um, Taylor Schilling's character has bipolar 1 disorder. And it's sort of an exploration of love and um, what that kind of looks like when one of you is struggling with pretty severe mental illness. Taylor Schilling's character really struggles with suicidal ideation pretty much from the time 
they know each other and start dating and throughout their marriage. And she has different ups and downs. But ultimately, these are two people who are very much in love. And, uh, you know, the episode kind of go shows us how uh, well suited they are for each other when Taylor Schilling's character is doing well. They, you know, banter back and forth and they are very intellectually well matched and clearly very passionately in love with each other and affectionate. But her struggle with her depression, it gets to be too much for her on a pretty regular basis. And she, we kind of see that she is always just struggling with not wanting to be alive. And she's just very tired for having to constantly be battling against her own mind. And even when she's heavily pregnant with their daughter, she, you know, is talking to her wife about how she wants to die. And it's told to us that she has tried to commit suicide several times um, to the point where Roberta Collins' character sends their 12-year-old daughter away to boarding school to kind of get some distance from the stuff going on in their house. And one night, they kind of get into a fight, and Taylor Schilling's character, you know, not to be too graphic with it, but she tries to kill herself, and her wife walks in while she's still alive, and sort of maybe not really fully processing the implications of what she's doing just sort of backs out of the room and doesn't call 911, doesn't try to help her, showing us that in the end, it all kind of got to be too much for her wife as well. Uh, and the next morning, Roberta Collins' character is in distress. She's distraught. You know, her wife is supposedly dead. But then Taylor Schilling's character just sort of appears and her wife is just overcome with uh, relief and, you know, is just so happy that she's alive. And as the episode goes on, we kind of see that Taylor Schilling's character, I think, is supposed to kind of be a sort of zombie in that she's a living soul in this kind of like dead, decaying body. Uh, So she just kind of keeps falling apart as time goes on and her wife is trying desperately to keep her together. Like her eyeball falls out, so she puts an eye patch on her and she's just bandaging up this decaying, rotting body to the point where she has to keep her in a basement and away from light and her wife can't even speak to her anymore, but she just sort of has conversations with her like she's still normal. And I think that's kind of an interesting dichotomy to before when her wife had a living body but seemed to sort of be just a dying, decaying soul that didn't want to be alive. And her Taylor Schilling's character had already kind of checked out in a way and already kind of died. And her wife was trying so hard to live for the both of them and keep them both together and okay. And at the end of the show, the daughter comes home from boarding school to surprise Roberta Collins' character, and they have a moment where they're sitting at the table and bantering like Roberta Collins used to do with her wife, and she kind of smiles, and the episode ends, and the daughter kind of shows, I think, that Taylor Schilling's character was capable of creating something more than, you know, sadness and death, and she made something witty and sparkling and alive. And this was the happiness that Roberta Collinger's character had been trying to instill in her wife throughout her battle with mental illness. And as for the way depression was portrayed in this episode, 
I've heard mixed reviews on it, and some people say it was kind of irresponsible. I'm not sure if that's particularly the word I would use, because I think it did do a good job of showing sometimes the very ugly realities of depression and mental illness, and just that sometimes it does feel frustrating for those involved when those struggling just can't seem to get better. What was scary for me, I think, was the fact that Taylor Schilling's character never really seemed to get proper help. And I think that was maybe not necessarily a decision, like a poor portrayal on the show's part, but I think it speaks more to the relationship between her and her wife. Because even after she had made uh, suicide attempts, her wife, you know, sent away their daughter and she had her quit her job, and she pretty much just kept her home alone and isolated. And her wife just seemed to kind of try to be the singular support for her and her illness, which you can't do. And people who are mentally ill, you know, you're going to need a much larger support system than one person, because one person can get overwhelmed and tired, and maybe they'll walk in on you trying to commit suicide, and in that instance, they will buckle too, and you need more than just that. And I think that, like I said, I don't think it was necessarily the show trying to maybe having an ignorant view of mental illness. I think it was more of showing us some of the downfalls of their relationship because while her wife did want to try and support her and love her, you know, you need more. And if you are struggling with mental illness, you know, there comes a point where you have to make the choice to want to get better and to seek out that kind of support for yourself. So I just think it was a really interesting kind of exploration of the balances and counterbalances of love and kind of severe mental illness. But yeah, that was my uh, second favorite episode, or at least the one that stuck out to me the most. But the episode that Erica and I both felt was the kind of creme de la creme of this season was episode seven, and it's called Iron River, Michigan. So this episode stars Kelly Marie Tran, who you might know from uh, one of the more recent Star Wars movies. We stand. She's great. I love her. <laughs> she, her performance in this episode was excellent. Really well done. Uh, Erica, do you want to kind of provide maybe a brief recap of the episode? Um, I guess a brief recap. So we kind of, if I'm not mistaken, which I don't think I am, but we kind of open up with two teenagers. So it is Mary Tran's character. Kelly Marie Tran. Oh, sorry, Kelly Marie Tran. Sorry, my bad. Uh, we end, we begin with Kelly's character, and she's kind of portrayed as probably more introverted, not necessarily into maybe kind of the popular teenage stuff. Kind of that, I don't want to say stereotypical, because I don't think it was necessarily stereotypical, but kind of that kind of character. Definitely a more introverted, awkward Mm -hmm. kind of teenager who doesn't really fit in even, you know, to her own skin, kind of. Yeah. And then uh, as a kind of opposite force, (laughs) uh, you see one of her best friends and she's very comfortable in her skin. You know, boyfriend, she likes to do things. She's definitely more popular, that which we learn that she's kind of the popular kid of school. And that they've managed to kind of find each other. So we open with them and she's like doing her hair and makeup. And she like holds up a book of like, uh, it's a book about a certain serial killer that's in their area. And she's like has the book with the victims 
pictures. pictures and she's like do i look like them and uh kelly marie chan's character kind of asks like why would you want to look like them and uh she says you know they're hot of course i want to look like them and we kind of see l who's the the popular much more you know kind of feminine girl um her friendship seems to be a little domineering and pushy mm-hmm. in some ways she definitely asks kelly marie chan's character to do things that she is sort of uncomfortable with and isn't necessarily always the best friend to her and kind of through this dynamic and through this beginning of the episode we also learn that what is the name of kelly's character lauren that's lauren, what i was just that's her name. sorry <laughs> her name's lauren um, and that her mother, her dad doesn't seem to be in the picture in any way. And that her mother is abusive and also kind of a domineering character. She's very strict while also not really caring about her. So she, she's kind of in this abusive household all her own. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she kind of leans on um, Elena. Sorry. <laughs> she kind of leans on Elena, I guess, kind of as a, a, a kind of a way out. Or something else outside of her house and, like, her kind of awkwardness with herself. She sort of seems to view Elena as everything that one should aspire to. Because she seemingly has the perfect life. Her mom, you know, calls her sweetie. And she has a boyfriend. And she's pretty. And she's confident. And you can see that Lauren is kind of envious of that life. And very tragic twist early on, Elena goes into the woods where she's, you know, been warned several times not to go because lots of, you know, young women go missing in these woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, she disappears. And then we flash forward several years and Lauren is now engaged to Elena's old boyfriend, she calls Elena's mother mom, kind of having grown a lot closer to her after Elena's disappearance, and Lauren grew even closer to her, even moving in with her after her mother kicked her out of the house when she was 18. And, you know, she she seems happy, but some of Elena's old friends from high school who are kind of, they're there for the wedding between Lauren and Elena's old boyfriend, they kind of talk about how weird it is that Lauren seems to kind of have taken on Elena's identity and sort of stolen her life, as they put it. And throughout this point, we kind of see different, or really see only a couple different versions of what might have happened, because all we really know before this flash forward and before the friend starts to get really suspicious is that Elena went into the woods and never came back. Mm -hmm. And when interviewed... Lauren said that she just knows that she went into the woods and that she said she was going to go home after, Mm -hmm. but never made out. Exactly. Yeah. And at first, when you're watching the episode, you kind of think to yourself, well, yeah, you know, maybe uh, she got engaged to Elena's old boyfriend and maybe that's a little weird, but she said that they kind of grieved together. That brought them closer and it's been about 15 years. So, you know, that's a long time. And it seems like Elena's mom was really there for her. And of course she would latch on to that because Lauren's mother was abusive and terrible and why wouldn't you latch on to anyone who's going to show you affection and comfort? And so you're thinking like, yeah, I can see the friend's point that it's it seems like she's stolen her life, but maybe not. And then you learn that Elena's mom calls Lauren L, which is what she used to call Elena. And you're like, oh, that is a little strange. And 
there's just kind of more and more little details like that where like Lauren's doing her hair for the wedding and she mentions that she wants big Hollywood curls like Rita Hayworth, which is what Elena said to her in the opening of the episode when she was curling her hair. Mm-hmm. And you start to think more and more, okay, maybe Lauren did kind of want to steal Elena's life. She did seem very envious of it before. And then, you know, all of this kind of tension culminates in a fight between Lauren and Elena's high school friends who paid Lauren's mother to come and stoke some animosity in between Lauren and Elena's mother. And there's just a big blow up and Lauren runs off into the woods. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, what happens is the friends think that Lauren actually killed Elena. But we learn that what actually happened is they did both end up going into the woods, but that Elena just kind of ended up missing. And Lauren looked for her, but couldn't find her and went mm-hmm. home. And during the interview her with the police, her mom's kind of grabbing her and going, did you go into those woods? And she's like, no, no, no. You know, she kind of ends up feeling the pressure of both her abusive real mom and Elena's mom within that interview. And Elena, throughout this, still remains pretty sympathetic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, well, both Elena and Lauren. But Lauren, I feel like, remains sympathetic in these situations, mm-hmm. at least to me. Because, uh, you know, all these things seem to kind of be happening to her. And she seems to just be trying to cope in her own way. Or that's how it appears. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so she runs into the woods and she comes upon this old hag, for lack of a better word, who invites her back to her mysterious hut in the woods. And it's there that she finds Elena, who has been taken as a captive daughter by this hag. And the the hag kind of recounted to Lauren how she'd had a horrible life and any happiness in this life that you want for yourself, she tells her you have to take it because life isn't going to give it to you. And Elena seems to have kind of been frozen in time by this hag. She still appears to be about 15, 16 years old. And she is blue and frozen, can't even speak because her vocal cords are frozen. And And she doesn't seem to remember because Lauren is like, Elena, is that you? And she's just kind of blank faced, Mm -hmm. like not really in it. And she doesn't really seem to recognize Lauren until she calls her Elle. And she has this little chalkboard and she starts scribbling questions on it, asking about her mom and her boyfriend. And Lauren tells her, you know, yeah, they're fine. They're both fine. And then the hag gets really angry and starts kind of beating at Elena and saying, I'm your mother. Why are you asking about this other woman? I'm your mother. And Lauren tells her to stop and kind of fights her off. And the hag looks like for a moment she's going to kill both Lauren and Elena in a fit of rage. And she stops and says, you know, I'm willing to make a trade because all I want is a daughter. And she's like, I'll let Elena go if you stay here as my daughter. And the episode ends with Lauren leaving the hut and walking out of the woods and mm-hmm. leaving Elena behind. And it's it's <laughs> it's such a good ending because when the hag says that, you sit there and you don't know what Lauren's going to pick. Mm-hmm. She's a sympathetic character. She didn't want or she didn't want Elena to go missing at all. She was hurt when she left and she was, you know, hurt to see her in that state and happy to see she was still okay. Mm-hmm. So it's still kind of like, okay, you know, this wasn't done out of malice. It just seems like at the end she does choose to take this happiness that she's kind of created for herself and Mm -hmm. just kind of leaves Elena to suffer. 
So you're kind of left at the end of the episode feeling confused because up till then you do sympathize with Lauren and you do kind of want to root for her. Mm -hmm. It's tricky because I feel like the feelings toward characters gets complicated Mm -hmm. because not only are you kind of have mixed feelings about Lauren, Lauren, but also in terms of Elena, like she does some kind of not great friendship things and she doesn't really seem like a great friend in a kind of a teenager way, like a yeah, youthful way. Yeah, I was way. just about to say that. But in other ways, you know, Elena was 16 years old. Yeah, you don't really hold those against her as a person. No. And it, you can tell that she still does care, even though she does appear kind of domineering in various ways. But yes, Elena still cares for Laurel in that way. So I feel like everyone, in a way, is kind of sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that one has a really surefire villain other than the old hag who's... Awful. Yeah, it's just kind of awful and like wants a daughter that's kind of abusive anyway. I think again, what kind of sticks out for me as maybe a point against Lauren is we don't see what she does after she leaves the woods, but from the look on her face, it's, I wouldn't say too far off of a guess to say that she's going to not say anything and kind of just go live her life and forget it ever happened. And that for me is a point against her because when she was young and they were in the woods and Elena is dragged off screaming and she can't find her and she doesn't say anything to the police and she doesn't try to get help, that too I you know can maybe chalk up to she was 16 and scared. I was going to say, because I feel like, I mean, even personally, I feel like there are situations where I've been in where I'm like, well, I'll just go to sleep and it's going to be okay. Yeah, and in some ways I understand that. But in other ways, she had a friend who needed help and she did nothing. And again, you know, the first time I could kind of maybe chalk it up to, she was 16 and she was scared. She lived in an abusive home. Oh, yeah, the first I time. I understand the choice she made. But the second time... To, again, not even try to get help and say, I found Elena in the woods. She's still alive. Like, mm-hmm. we have to go find her. That, for me, shows that maybe there are more malicious things in Lauren than maybe we'd want to believe. Because she is a sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes the choices she makes are not good ones. <laughs> yeah, I think personally, I still find her sympathetic at the end. Not because I think her choices were good, but because I think that those choices are definitely a result Mm -hmm. of kind of her situation and stuff she's gone through and things like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. She had a very difficult life. And I think it kind of, you know, this episode sort of has you contemplating the question of what makes things excusable or inexcusable and how much does context kind of absolve you of guilt in some of these situations because I think with Lauren and Elena both sometimes context is crucial Mm -hmm. in deciding whether or not you know they're a quote-unquote good person or in the right in some of these situations but I think also kind of forces you to ask the question does past trauma or bad circumstances is it an excuse? Mm-hmm. And I know Eric and I, we've talked about this before, just with different things we've watched, and the answer is no. <laughs> um, but it does make it harder in some cases, because like like you, I, I still think she was a sympathetic character, even at the end. I don't agree with her, 
Mm-hmm. But I understand to an extent. Mm-hmm. And even then, the choice is kind of mm-hmm. weird because I, it, at least when she, when like she introduces the trade mm-hmm. and she's like, well, you can stay in her place, it seems very unfair. And that, at least at that point, I felt very strongly that neither of them deserved <laughs> to be there. Oh, they definitely, neither of them deserve to be there. But my whole thing with it is I think that. If I were in that situation, I most certainly would not have left Elena there. I don't think I would have chosen to stay either because I think it's kind of stupid to to say to someone like, okay, well, you get to choose between suffering or leaving, but living with the guilt of knowing that you condemned another person to suffer. In that case, I probably would have just looked at the hag and been like, if you're going to kill us, you're going to kill us both. Because, or I would have tried to kill the hag and gotten Elena out. Yeah, I would have. I either way, either we're both leaving or neither of us is leaving. I wouldn't have made a choice that condemned one or the other of us to suffering. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Or at the very least, I agree with you. If if she did leave, I would have been like, "Hey, can someone help me try and figure out what's happening?" At the very least, I think I saw her. Something. Mm Hmm. But, you know, it the episode was so well done mm-hmm. and definitely the best one in the season, in in our opinion. But the I, whole season is great. Oh, yeah. The whole season was good. I especially thought that that episode and then part of what made it great is that it's, it's the episode that I think is easiest to understand mm-hmm. without things e- being given away either. Because mm-hmm. I feel like some of the other episodes, especially, and I made a note of it, the last episode kind of throws you, like, I still don't really know what's going on in that episode, personally. The, the last episode was very surrealist and trippy, and, yeah. like, I, I understood what they were trying to do, but it kind of fell flat in its ambition a little bit, I would say. I don't know if I, I feel like I understand what they were trying to do in terms of, like, how they wanted it to look or appear mm-hmm. or seem, but in terms of like, I feel like maybe I got maybe some of the smaller nuances, is that the right mm-hmm. word? Nuances yeah. of what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, a bigger picture or a bigger message, I couldn't quite. Personally, I still don't really know what. Well, and I think that's about. that's the problem with it. Um, For some context, that episode, I think, was supposed to be, at least this is how I interpret it, interpreted it, sort of a portrayal of grief. And it's a married couple both going through the process of grieving and then coming back together at the end of the episode. And I think the reason it kind of didn't fit for us, or maybe the reason you're having such a hard time with it is because all of the other episodes, there's a very clear kind of moral or point or even just plot to be had. Like there's a, you know, clear conflict resolution sort of thing happening. And I don't know. That episode, I think, was just much more abstract than the other seven. Yeah. In some ways. I guess. Um, Because, I mean, I would argue that the other episodes don't necessarily have a clear, a clear cut story. I feel like a lot of them still do end ambiguous in some of the earlier ones. But I don't know. I just don't know about this one. That's fair. I think it was just more ambiguous from beginning to end. There was just, like I said, it was just very abstract. Whereas the other ones definitely had abstract elements or like it would end very ambiguously and that was really good. The story was more engaging and it wasn't 
as experimental, we'll say. Mm -hmm. Um, But the performances in that last episode were also excellent. And I think for what it was, it was very well done. I just think it didn't really fit with the overall tone of the season. Yeah, and that might be why. Because that one just kind of threw me for a loop after we had watched everything else. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what is this one? And it was also definitely a strange note to end on. Because that episode was right after the Iron River Michigan episode, which was so good. And then to end on that kind of experimental note was a little strange and off-putting, I think. But Mm -hmm. if Hulu decides to do a second season of this show, we will be on top of it so fast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Such a great show. Definitely recommend watching it. Um, Let us know on Twitter what you think of the show and what your favorite episode was. What would you rate this episode or this show, Erica? Ooh, the show? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, oh gosh, I think I'm gonna say eight out of ten monsters in a land. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with that actually. Yeah, eight out of ten land monsters, oh sea monsters, <laughs> land monsters. Join us for season two when we have monster sea. I hope there's a season two. I really do as well. I really enjoyed this show. Mm-hmm. It was very good. I, I, well, I'm going to see how it all connects because like just a little, at least in the earlier episodes, you see those characters again. And like mm-hmm. I said, things kind of line up, but it doesn't really go farther than that. So I, I really want to know more. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see if they do eventually tie everything together with more of an overarching storyline. But uh, yes, we really enjoy Monsterland. Let us know on Twitter if you watch it, what you think of it. Join us next week. Until then, we are signing off. Stay spooky, everyone. Stay spooky. Hey, it's Erica from Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks. And I just want to let you all know that our primary form of social media right now is Twitter. You can find us at and Chillers. There you can find updates and also give us your feedback on the podcast. Thank you again for listening and stay spooky.